Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. I'm Nathan Walker, Global Performance Coach, here to share principles gleaned from decades of teaching, training, and coaching on four continents. Whether you're a senior executive, salesperson, new parent, military leader, artist, musician, head of a nonprofit, or a student, it doesn't matter who you are, only who you can become. Join me each week to have your brain flipped upside down as we move together toward a happier, healthier, and much more productive life. Hello, my friends. In our last episode, we talked a bit about decision-making, and I left out a portion deliberately that I want to talk about today just as a follow-up. I gave you six steps for making better decisions. We were talking about how to parse information. When you receive information about things and you need to decide on something, how do you actually process that information? And what do you do with it to make sure that you're focused on the right thing? How do you keep in the story that you're supposed to be in? I used the example of my wife and I trying to sell our FJ Cruiser and mentioned the ease at which we became sidetracked and went off on little tangents all the time. It can be really difficult to decide what we're supposed to focus on when a decision is being made. In fact, it can be difficult to realize that we're actually deciding something right then and there. But here's the most interesting thing. Despite all the data you gather, all the lists that you make, all of the things that you think you know, and all of the debates that you have, your decision won't be made based on all of that. Now, I used to work with sales teams all over the world. And businesses, especially in the world of technology, talk all the time about decisions made based on data. We make data-driven decisions. We don't just go off half-cocked and, and, you know, make poor decisions. We gather more information. We make sure that we have enough information to make a good decision. But information doesn't make the decision. Emotion does. All decisions are emotional. And that's going to freak you out a little bit. Freaks out the data-driven decision lovers. Data is used to justify a decision that is made emotionally. And it doesn't matter how big it is, and it doesn't matter who's making it. All decisions are emotional. In fact, people who have brain damage that prevents part of their brain from functioning properly emotionally find that they can't make decisions at all. Their decision-making ability gets shut down. It gets shut off. And it's a combination of portions of the brain. Some of it's in the amygdala. But the important thing to remember is that decisions are made emotionally. The data that we use is used to justify the decision after the fact. And this is true in business. It's true in marriage. It's true in any kind of relationship. We say, well, I looked carefully at this and I, you know, I made a really careful decision and I determined that this was the best car. No, you felt this was the best car. You justified that feeling by gathering data to make sure that you weren't missing something and then using that to prove that you made the correct decision. You made the decision emotionally. Happens all the time in sales. People will go in and say, well, you know, we gave them a lot of information. More information makes it less likely that a decision will be made it makes decisions happen more slowly, and it makes complexity become a huge issue in the decision-making process. Let me give you an example. 
if an executive is making an emotional decision about whether or not to buy your product or service, and you give them a tremendous amount of information, you will find that that almost always turns into an RFP. Now, for those of you who who haven't spent time in the business world, an RFP is a request for proposal. It's the business equivalent of my dad can beat up your dad. And so we get endless lists of features and functions and why our stuff can beat up your stuff and ours is shinier than yours, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end, people say, well, we made the decision because their feature set seemed better than this one. No, that's not why you made the decision. You made the decision because after agonizing over feature sets, you start justifying each one versus the other and saying, yes, I, I, I can see that this one is more capable, but I also think they, these guys will be more diligent in making sure that this one is applied in our business setting. Well, this one has better uh, connection to what we already do. So I think if we go that with that, it will actually be a more powerful feature than this one that's touted as more powerful in the RFP and so on. People do this all the time. You could be deciding what car to buy. And you'll go from everything to blinkers to cup holders. You'll read reviews online that talk about blinkers and cup holders. And in the end, you're going to go with the car that you kind of have this gut feeling about. Don't believe me? Some of you are photographers. I know who some of the listeners are to my podcast. Some of you are photographers and you're trying to decide one system versus another. Do I go Fujifilm, Canon, Sony, Nikon, Olympus? What am I going to do? And so you watch reviews on YouTube. And the reviews talk about lens sharpness, and they talk about sensor size, and they talk about ISO performance, and they talk about these test photos and everything else. And then you go to the local camera store, and you feel one, and you fiddle around with a little bit, and you'll find that everything you do from that point on is looking for videos, charts, graphs, and reviews that will justify the fact that you really think the Fujifilm is the better camera and you want to shoot that one. And you want to shoot that one because you like the way it felt. You had an emotional connection to that piece of gear. And so all of the reviews you read and all of the videos you tended to watch and all of the ones that were recommended by YouTube after you, after you watched similar videos on that topic all support your belief that indeed it was the best thing to go with the Fujifilm or the Sony, or the Canon, or the Nikon, or the Olympus, or the Samsung, or whatever, or your phone. Physics, by the way. Your phone can't do what a good camera can do. We'll talk about that sometime. So the decisions you make are emotional. There's a raft of information to support that. Numerous studies have been done that show that we are highly emotional beings, and that's how we make the decision. So back on last last week's discussion of Should I get this car or this car? Should I keep this car or sell this car? Should I think about this thing or that thing? Remember that most of what you're doing is trying to justify the hunch that you already have or the feeling that you already feel or the emotional connection that you already have to someone or something, some service, some product, some person. Everything you're doing is justifying the emotion that you feel. That's not a bad thing. You don't need to feel bad about it nor should you get all bent out of shape. Those of you who are very logical in your thinking tend to get bent out of shape over this one. They say, that that is such bunk. I can prove that it's not emotional. Look at my spreadsheet. Yes, 
We'll look at your spreadsheet. And if we look at the spreadsheet and examine what's on there, we will discover that the approach you took was to justify a belief that you already held, a hunch that you already harbored about the best way to solve a particular business problem or technical problem or programming issue or anything else. So don't argue with me. (laughs) Decisions are made emotionally and you justify them with facts. So why am I telling you about this? Easy. First of all, you can be reassured that knowing that you are making decisions emotionally shouldn't alarm you at all. It's how we're wired. We're made to feel certain things about certain things. We use those feelings to help inform our decisions. We can sort of check our feelings by doing due diligence. We can say, okay, I feel like this is the best thing. I'm going to check for any red flags and make sure that this still feels right to me after I've gone through a list of capabilities that are important. But the first thing it should do is make you decide what's really important to you at all. Sometimes we find ourselves in a position where we're deciding things, and we're deciding on stuff that doesn't really matter. For example, you might find a particular uh, capability in a camera system and say, you know, this really is good at fast focus on fast-moving subjects. If I were shooting sports, I would need that. I've got to have something that focuses really quickly in low light and that's going to get that shot. If I'm shooting a soccer game and they're over in the back corner where the lights aren't really strong and I want to get continuous autofocus on that, on that runner, I better, I better have this feature on a camera. Uh, yeah. What if you never, ever shoot sports in your life or the biggest soccer game you ever shoot is your grandkids' soccer game and it's in broad daylight? Why would you pay an extra $400 or $500 or $1,000 for the lens or the sensor or the focus system that would produce that kind of focus when you're never going to do it? Yeah, I got to have something that's a really good portrait lens. Really? Do you shoot portraits? No, but I intend to sometime. All right. When you shoot portraits, then buy the lens. We do the same thing with cars. But we do it most often with people. I want my friends to think the way I think about such and such. Well, why do you want them to think that way? Well, because I know that that's the correct way to think about it, and I want them to think about it that way. Yes, but why? Well, because that's a hard question to answer, isn't it? I have a really close friend whom I met years and years ago when she came to me for a computer repair. I happened to be really good with Macs, and and they were unfamiliar territory to her. So I worked on her Mac for several hours, and we talked about everything under the sun because this was a long repair, and she stayed to watch it happen. During the conversation, it was obvious to both of us that we were political, religious, and I don't know, pick another category. We were polar opposites. We were about as far apart as you could possibly get. In fact, she said a couple of things during the conversation that tempted me to become offended because they flew in the face of everything I believed and held dear. But we became good friends. She came in for more repairs. We had more conversations. That relationship now has gone on for years and years and years. She visits our home when she's in the area. My wife and children know and love her. We're very close friends. We do not think the same way. It's not a requirement that she feel the same way I do about everything. 
now. If holding certain um, competing beliefs would create a strain in a relationship, especially something like a marriage, then of course you would want to align yourself with someone who has similar beliefs, holds similar values, values similar things. But it's not a requirement for life. It's not a requirement for friendship. Remember, your decisions about the person are emotional, in fact, probably more so with relation to people than in any other category. So embrace it. Embrace the fact that you make decisions emotionally. And then question yourself every once in a while. Be self-aware and honest enough to say, does my gut reaction to this sentence from my spouse or this feature in a camera or this need in a car or whatever it is, does my gut reaction to that get in my own way? Am I doing things that are inherently negative or doing things that are inherently positive? Am I looking for the things that are good or looking for the things that are bad? Am I justifying a notion that I already held to my detriment? Or am I being careful and open to new ideas? Am I open to new emotions that would put me in a position to make a new kind of decision or one with more clarity and more understanding? When I decide, am I placing unnecessary strain upon myself to make this decision right this instant? Except in a moment of fight or flight, it usually does not have to be an instant thing. So sit on a little bit, think about a little bit, and make the call. When you make the decision, you will generally have a feeling of confirmation or a feeling of unease. If you're uneasy, question yourself again. Do the emotions and feelings I have about this thing make sense? Are there experiences from my life or from my childhood that would cause me to be overly reactive, especially in a negative way, to a certain proposed decision or solution? Do I need to make changes in how I react to make changes in how I decide and increase the quality of my decisions and shorten the timeline? In the workplace, when I'm making a sales pitch or doing anything else, Am I discounting the value of people's feelings, hunches, or relationships in favor of data, not realizing that the data will not really make the decision? It will only justify it in the end. These are good things to think about. I have seminars that take two days where we talk about this stuff, so we can't cover it all in a single podcast. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this thing that has been life-changing to understand. The more you learn about how we feel things, the more you are aware of how you process, the more you are willing to be open to new ways of thinking, the better decisions you can make and the happier you'll be. Don't take time burying yourself in information. Don't take time burying your clients in information. It will come back to haunt you. The chance of someone purchasing your product or service goes down with more information. It goes up with little information, but stuff that feeds what they're really trying to accomplish. If you can understand what their story really is and what they're really trying to do, and especially how they feel about it individually, then the chances of a great sale, a great relationship, a great purchasing pattern will increase. Data won't do it. 
I promise. Now, if I can help you with this in any of these categories, of course, go to my website, natewalkercoaching.com, go to the contact page, and in the comments section, tell me what you'd like to talk about, hear about, debate, discuss, or learn, and I'll help you. If you'd like, we'll set up a time for you and I to talk together free of charge about how I might help you best. We'll talk again soon.